This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This is Peter and Tricia welcoming you today to Great News and God's Views, a half-hour weekly broadcast on Free FM 89.0, independent community media. We can be contacted by email at greatnews376 at gmail.com. That is greatnews376 at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Our worship theme today, Christ's Love in Us Tears Down Walls of Hatred and Division. Count the cost. One of the remarkable characteristics of our Lord was his insistence that those who follow him realize the cost. There was never a diluting of what it meant to accept him as Lord of life. In his challenge to follow him, he underscored with red and highlighted in bright color the hardships involved. His appeal for disciples was primarily to individuals, not the generalized multitudes. His concern was in quality, not quantity. How refreshing! For many areas of Christendom today, the opposite is true. We read from Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 25. And there went great multitudes with them, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come unto me and hate not his father and mother, and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. The demand. In the text, many multitudes went with him. The word went mean to go along with. There were great numbers of people who went going with him. They were followed on the basis of a mixed bag of motives. Some were sincere, some were curious. Some were willing to enlist in anyone's army who was willing to restore the kingdom to Israel. The multitudes know no requirement and no demand in following the Messiah. In an instant, Jesus burst their bubble of ease. He was on the way to Jerusalem. They thought he was on his way to worldly power and they wanted to be part of it. These messianic groupies had to make a decision. Would they be camp followers or devoted disciples? The devotion. In the vivid vocabulary of this Eastern culture, Jesus says that those who would follow him must have a love for him that causes other loves to shrink in comparison. The strong word hate grates to our sensitivity. There were several meanings of this word in the day of Jesus. I believe the most applicable in Christ's usage is that compared to one's devotion to Christ, all other devotions on any human level become secondary. Even one's life must become subjugated to Jesus and one of his disciples. Life means one's complete self. Devotion to Jesus as one of his disciples means there is absolutely nothing that comes between the follower and Jesus. Verse 27. And whatsoever doth thou not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
Talking, taking up one's cross means death to self rather than denial of self. The cross is an instrument of execution ending in death. Today in our modern Christianity, we have equated the cross more with service than with sacrifice. Those who heard these startling words of Jesus knew mistakenly that he was speaking of death. With no uncertain sounds, Jesus is calling the people to follow him even unto their deaths. The dimension, continuing at verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Haply, after he has filled the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consult, whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Or else, while the other is yet great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and discarreth conditions of peace. So likewise, whatsoever So likewise, whosoever be, he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. In defining further what the cost of discipleship is, Jesus used two parables as illustrations. The first is a builder who prepares to build a tower, the second a warrior who prepares to go to battle. In each case, the emphasis is on counting the cost. The tower was probably be constructed on the man's farm to protect his crops and his vineyards from animals that would destroy and from people who would steal. The intent was a positive one. What would be detrimental was to begin the tower and not be able to finish it. Beginning without adequate finances would cause derision and shame from his neighbours. Such a monument to bad planning would stand as a poor witness to the builder's ability to finish what he'd begun. Jesus is focusing on the end of one's journey with him as well as the beginning. The warrior king wisely counted how many troops he had before going into battle with his enemy. With 10,000 men, how victorious could he be against an army of 20,000 commanded by the enemy? Having counted the cost, he came to the conclusion that the better part of wisdom was not to go to war. He seeks peace without the risk of battle. Jesus' point in the parable was the necessity of counting the cost before enlisting the army. Verse 33 sums up this section with a call to forsake all. Are we willing to give up all that we are and all that we have to serve Christ? His call is for willingness to surrender everything that would impede one's total commitment to him. Our first music today... O love that will not let me go. Written by George Matheson, who became blind at 20 years of age in 1862 and went on to become a Scottish minister and hymn writer, Queen Victoria invited him to preach at Balmoral and had one of his sermons published. O love that will not let me go.
I hear of Neanderthal man, I can't help but feel sorry for the poor guy. Initially reconstructed to look like some apish brute, it took 44 years before a reanalysis of the fossils revealed that Neanderthal man's anatomy was very similar to yours and mine. Neanderthals buried their dead, which isn't the sort of behavior you'd expect from an animal. What's more, discovery of ornaments, tools, and stone-tipped spears reveal a high level of sophistication. Neanderthals made their own superglue from pitch, and flute-like structures found with their remains suggest they enjoyed music. But what did Neanderthal man really look like? In recent years, researchers have answered this question by using computerized reconstructions, commonly used in forensic science. These studies show that Neanderthal man looked remarkably similar to you and I. If he was dressed in a suit and walked past you in the street, you probably wouldn't notice him. To find out more from Creation Ministries International, visit our website, creation.com. You are listening to Great News in God's Views on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. 89.0 is live streamed from freefm.org.nz or TuneIn and now on Amazon Echo devices using the Free FM 89 Alexa skill. We continue with To God Be the Glory. A hymn by Fanny Crosby with words A hymn with lyrics by Fanny Crosby and tune by Willard Howard Duane, first published in 1875. Blinded at six weeks of age in 1820, Fanny soon became very good at learning by memorising everything that she heard. She would memorise scripture and quote it in Sunday school. By the age of ten, she'd memorized the first four books in both testaments. We know that she'd learned everything by having it read to others because this was 15 years before Braille had been invented. Her mother once sympathized with Fanny about her blindness, and she told her mother that if she were offered a sight back that day, she would not accept it. She felt if she had a normal sight that she would probably not have written any of her hymns. She also noted that the first face she would see would be Jesus. She attended the New York School for the Blind for 35 years, both a student and teacher, and began writing hymns at the age of 40. She wrote over 8,000 hymns. 
A Conversation with God We read from Exodus chapter 32, beginning at verse 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They've made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up from out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I am, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses behold, sought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, 
For mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath, and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the servants whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. This selected text is one of the most unusual and humorous passages in the Bible. We are privileged to hear Moses arguing with God about the fate of the discontented and rebellious Israelites. God tells Moses, your people have got out of line, I must destroy them. Moses retorts, they aren't his people, but God's people, because it was God who saved them out of Egypt. The people have grown tired of Moses being on the mountain talking with God, and have made for themselves an idol out of gold. Led by Moses' brother Aaron, the people worship the idol and offer sacrifices to it. And Moses finds himself interceding with God on behalf of his people. From this text we gain some valuable insights about the intercession. Intercession's power comes from obedience, and obedience comes from trusting. Obviously the Israelites' trust in Moses and God had grown very thin. They felt the need to rely on their senses for security. They needed to feel, touch, and see a God. Pathetically they bowed down to the creation of their own hands. They tried to worship something that had no power. In contrast, Moses is obedient because he does trust. He trusts God's own words, God's own promises, and God's own character enough even to challenge God with what God had said and done. Intercession's process is based on God's own character. God rewards those who trust. God takes those seriously who take God seriously. God proves his trustworthiness by listening to Moses. Like Moses, we can pray God's own promises and know that we can trust in what has been promised. We can and must identify with those for whom we intercede. They're God's people and they're our people. We are intercessors and we have a divine intercessor, Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. Today's world is full of gods we ourselves continue to produce. They're gods without power. Gods are the product of our hands, whether they're human beings in popular culture, new religions with old age gods, or our own intellect and knowledge. Who can save us from ourselves but the supreme intercessor, Jesus Christ? Who, like Moses, prayed for his people, and according to Romans 8.34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yes, rather, that is risen again, who even at the right hand of God does also make intercession for us. We continue. How deep the Father's love. This is the first traditional hymn-like song written by Stuart Townend, which expressed what it cost the Father to have his son suffer on the cross. Stuart Towner was born in 1963, son of a Church of England vicar in Halifax, West Yorkshire. He studied literature at the University of Sussex and started to play the piano at the age of seven. At the age of 13, he made a Christian commitment and began writing songs at the age of 22. 
He has led worship and performed events across the world at many conferences and festivals and writes in the tradition of the 17th century hymnist Isaac Watts and his successors. How Deep the Father's Love This is Peter and Tricia thanking you for joining us today for Great News and God's Views on Free FM 89.0 Independent Community Media. Our closing music today, He Hideth My Soul.
written by Fanny Crosby, who said, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I'd been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things around me. He hideth my soul. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.